body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift, made possible by Envy Pillow. It's a Canadian-designed ergonomic pillow that cradles your face and aligns your spine and was created by Kathy and Kim, two registered nurses with your health and the planet in mind. Learn more in the morning at Envy, envypillow.com. As someone who visits with me here at Drift, and I thank you for that, you may know by now that I'm quite fond of the writing of Edith Nesbitt. I wasn't raised on her dragon's tales and the like, but I do love her way with a story where children inspired by St. George save the day, and in the case of the deliverers of their country, the land. If you're not familiar with the story of St. George and the dragon, I'll give you a short version so you know the background of tonight's story. It goes all the way back to the year 303, in which St. George slays a people-eating dragon. His story has been told ever since, and as part of many different religions. Today, the flags of Bhutan, Malta, and Wales all feature dragons. So now you know a bit of the story. Let's get ready for you to enjoy it by giving yourself the gift of relaxation because this time is just for you, and I'm so glad you're spending it here with me. We're going to start with a few deep breaths, and as you take your first inhale, feel your body getting heavy in your bed, in your airline seat, your recliner, wherever you are right now. And as you exhale, let yourself sink deeply in total relaxation. Most importantly, let your neck truly release all of the strength and tension it holds throughout the day, because now is for rest. Take another deep breath. Inhale. And as you exhale, think these thoughts. I am safe. I am loved. I am at peace. And if you're ready... We shall drift. It all began with Effie's getting something in her eye. It felt like a red-hot spark, only it seemed to have legs as well, and wings like a fly. Effie rubbed and cried, not real crying, but the kind your eye does all by itself, without your being miserable inside. And then she went to her father to have the thing in her eye taken out. Effie's father was a doctor, so of course he knew how to take things out of eyes. When he had gotten the thing out, he said, This is very curious. Now Effie had often gotten things in her eye before, but he had never before thought it curious. Here it is on the brush. This is very interesting. What is? she asked. 
The doctor carried the brush very carefully across the room and held the point of it under his microscope and looked at it. Dear, dear me, he said, four well-developed limbs, a long tail-like appendage, five toes and traces of wings. The creature under his eye wriggled a little, and he went on. Yes, a bat-like wing. A new specimen, undoubtedly. Effie, run round to the professor and ask him to be kind enough to step in for a few minutes. You might give me sixpence, Daddy, said Effie, because I did bring you the new specimen. I took care of it inside my eye. And my eye does hurt. The doctor was so pleased with the new specimen that he gave Effie a shilling, and in a few minutes the professor showed up. He and the doctor quarreled very happily all the afternoon about the name and the family of the thing that had come out of Effie's eye. But at tea time, Effie's brother Harry fished something out of his tea, which he thought at first was a beetle. He was just getting ready to toss it out the window when it shook itself in the spoon, spread two wet wings, and flopped onto the tablecloth. There it sat stroking itself with its feet and stretching its wings. And Harry said, Why, it's a tiny newt. The professor leaned forward before the doctor could say a word. I'll give you half a crown for it, Harry, my lad, he said, speaking very fast. And then he picked it up carefully on his handkerchief. It is a new specimen, he said, and finer than yours, doctor. It was a tiny lizard about half an inch long, with scales and wings. So now the doctor and the professor each had a specimen, and they were both very pleased. But before long, these specimens began to seem less valuable. For the next morning, when the shoeshine man was cleaning the doctor's boots, he suddenly dropped the brushes and the boot and the blacking and screamed out that he was burnt. And from inside the boot came crawling a lizard as big as a kitten, with large, shiny wings. Why, said Effie, I know what it is. It is a dragon, like the one St. George killed. And Effie was right. That afternoon, their dog Pepper was bitten in the garden by a dragon, about the size of a rabbit, which he had tried to chase. And the next morning, all the papers were full of the wonderful winged lizards that were appearing all over the country. The papers would not call them dragons, because, of course, no one believes in dragons anymore. And at any rate, the papers were not going to be so silly as to believe in fairy stories. At first there were only a few, but in a week or two, the country was simply overrun with dragons of all sizes, and in the air you could sometimes see them as thick as a swarm of bees. They all looked alike, except for their sizes. They were green with scales, and they had four legs and a long tail, and great wings like bat's wings, only the wings were a pale, half-transparent yellow. They breathed fire and smoke, as all proper dragons must, but still 
the newspapers went on pretending they were lizards until the editor of the Standard was picked up and carried away by a very large one. And then the other newspaper people had not anyone left to tell them what they ought not to believe. So when the largest elephant in the zoo was carried off by a dragon, the papers gave up pretending and put alarming plague of dragons at the top of the paper. You have no idea how alarming it was, and at the same time, how aggravating. The large-sized dragons were terrible, certainly, but when once you'd found out that the dragons always went to bed early because they were afraid of the chill night air, you had only to stay indoors all day, and you were pretty safe from the big ones. But the smaller ones were a perfect nuisance. The little ones got in the soap, and they got in the butter. The ones as big as dogs got in the bath, and the fire and smoke inside them made them steam like anything when the cold water tap was turned on, so that careless people were often scalded. The ones that were as large as pigeons would get into work baskets or corner drawers and bite you when you were in a hurry to get a needle or a handkerchief. The ones as big as sheep, they were easier to avoid, because you could see them coming. But when they flew in the windows and curled up under your quilt, and you did not find them till you went to bed, it was always a shock. The ones this size did not eat people, only lettuce, but they always scorched the bedding. How dreadful! Of course, the county council and the police did everything that could be done. It was no use offering the hand of the princess to anyone who killed a dragon. This method was all well and good in olden times, when there was only one dragon and one princess. But now there were far more dragons than princesses. And besides, it would have been a waste to offer rewards for killing dragons because everybody killed as many dragons as they could without rewards at all, just to get the nasty things out of the way. There seemed to be more dragons than ever. The shops were full of dragon poison and anti-dragon soap and dragon-proof curtains for the windows, and indeed, everything that could be done was done. It was not very easy to know what would poison a dragon because, you see, they ate such different things. But the ones Epi was most afraid of were about as big as your dining room, and that size ate little girls and boys. At first, Effie and her brother were happy with the adventure of it all. It was fun to sit up all night instead of going to sleep, and to play in the yard lighted by electric lamps and it sounded so funny to hear mothers say when they were going to bed, Good night, my darlings. Sleep sound all day, and don't get up too soon. You must not get up before it's quite dark. You wouldn't like the nasty dragons to catch you. But after a time, they got very tired of it all, and they wanted so much to get out, just for once, in the beautiful, bright, 
dangerous daylight that they began to try and think of some reason why they ought to go out. Only they did not want to disobey their mother. But one morning, their mother was busy preparing dragon poison to lay down in the cellars, and their father was tending to a patient. So nobody remembered to say to the children, Don't get up till it is quite dark. Go now, said Harry. It wouldn't be disobedient. We ought to wake St. George. He was the only person in his town who knew how to manage dragons. St. George is a real person, and he is only asleep. So we must go and look for him. Harry continued boldly, You shall wear a dragon-proof frock made of stuff like the curtains. And I, I will smear myself all over with the best dragon poison, and... Effie clapped her hands and cried, Oh, Harry, I know where we can find St. George. In St. George's church, of course. Um, said Harry, wishing he had thought of it for himself. You have a little sense sometimes for a sister. So the next afternoon, quite early, long before the beams of sunset announced the coming night, when everybody would be up and working, the two children got out of bed. Effie wrapped herself in a shawl of dragon-proof muslin. There was no time to make the frock. And Harry made a horrible mess of himself with dragon poison. It was declared to be harmless to infants and invalids, so he felt quite safe. Then they joined hands and set out to walk to St. George's Church. Now, as you know, there are many St. George's churches, but fortunately, they took the turning that leads to the right one and went along in the bright sunlight, feeling very brave and adventurous. There was no one about in the streets except dragons, and the streets were simply swarming with them. Fortunately, none of the dragons was just the right size for eating little boys and girls, or perhaps this story might have to end here. Anyway, Effie held her brother's hand very tight, and once, when a fat dragon flopped against her ear, she screamed out, and a whole flight of green dragons rose from the field at the sound and sprawled away across the sky. The children could hear the rattle of their wings as they flew. Oh, I want to go home, said Effie. Don't be silly, said Harry. People who are going to be their country's deliverers never scream and say they want to go home. And are we? asked Effie. Deliverers, I mean? You'll see, said her brother, and on they went. When they came to St. George's Church, they found the door open, and they walked right in. But St. George was not there. So they walked around the churchyard outside, and there was the great stone tomb of St. George, with the figure of him carved in marble outside, in his armor and helmet and with his hands folded on his chest. However can we wake him, they said. Then Harry spoke to St. George, but he would not answer. And he called, but St. George did not seem to hear. And then he actually tried to waken the great dragon slayer 
by shaking his marble shoulders, but St. George took no notice. Then Effie began to cry, and she put her arms around St. George's neck, as well as she could for the marble, which was very much in the way at the back, and she kissed the marble face, and she said, Oh, kind St. George, please wake up and help us. And at that, St. George opened his eyes sleepily, stretched himself, and said, What's the matter, little girl? So the children told him all about it. He turned over in his marble and leaned on one elbow to listen. But when he heard that there were so many dragons, he shook his head. It's no good, he said. They would be one too many for poor old George. You should have waked me before. I was always for a fair fight. One man, one dragon was my motto. Then he added, By the way, what sort of weather have you been having lately? Effie responded, Father says it's the hottest weather there's ever been been in this country. Ah, I guessed as much, said the champion thoughtfully. Well, the only thing would be, dragons can't stand wet and cold. That's the only thing, if you could find the taps. So George was beginning to settle down again on his stone slab. Good night. Very sorry I can't help you he said, yawning behind his marble hand. Oh, oh, but you can, cried Effie. Tell us, what taps? Oh, like in the bathroom, said St. George, still more sleepily. And there's a looking-glass, too. Shows you all the world and what's going on. St. Dennis told me about it said it was a very pretty thing. I'm sorry, I can't. Oh, good night. And he fell back into his marble and was fast asleep again in a moment. We shall never find the taps, said Harry. Effie covered St. George with her veil, and Harry rubbed off as much as he could of the dragon poison onto St. George's armor, so as to make everything quite safe for him. We might hide in the church till it is dark, he said, and then... But at that moment, a dark shadow fell on them, and they saw that it was a dragon, exactly the size of the dining room at home. The dragon swooped down and caught the two children in his claws. Effie by her green silk sash, and Harry by the little point at the back of his jacket. And then, spreading his great yellow wings, he rose into the air. Oh, Harry, said Effie, I wonder when he will eat us. The dragon was flying across woods and fields with great flaps of his wings that carried him a quarter of a mile at each flap. Harry and Effie could see the country below. And still, the dragon flew on. The dragon held on tight, and he flew, and flew, and flew, until at last 
when the children were quite exhausted and frightened, he settled down, with a rattling of all his scales, on the top of a mountain. And he lay there, on his great green scaly side, very much out of breath, because he had come such a long way. But his claws were fast in Effie's sash, and the little point at the back of Harry's jacket. The dragon was asleep. Effie pulled out the knife that Harry had given her on her birthday. She managed to make that knife cut her sash in front and crept out of it, leaving the dragon with only a green silk bow in one of his claws. That tiny knife would never have cut Harry's jacket off, though. But with her help, Harry wriggled quietly out of his sleeves, so that the dragon had only a jacket in his other claw. Then the children tiptoed to a crack in the rocks and got in. It was much too narrow for the dragon to enter, and when he awoke, oh, he was very angry indeed. He blew out fire and smoke at them, but they ran farther into the cave so that he could not reach them. And when he was tired of blowing, he went away. They went farther in, and eventually the cave opened out and grew bigger. And when they had come to the very end of the cave, there was a door, and on it was written, Universal Taproom, Private, No Entry. Remembering what St. George had said, Harry observed, we can't be worse off than we are with a dragon waiting for us outside. Let's go in. They went boldly into the tap room and shut the door behind them. The room was cut out of solid rock, and all along one side of the room were taps adorned with china labels, like you see in a bathroom. And from the words on the taps, they realized that they had gotten to the place where the weather is turned on from. There were six big taps, labeled sunshine, wind, rain, snow, hail, ice, and a lot of little ones, labeled fair to moderate, showery, south breeze, nice growing weather for the crops, skating, good open weather, south wind, east wind, and so on. And the big tap, labeled sunshine, was turned full on. They could not see any sunshine. The cave was lighted by a skylight of blue glass. Then they saw that one side of the room was just a big mirror, and when you looked in it, you could see everything that was going on in the world, and all at once, which is not like most mirrors at all. They saw the carts delivering the dead dragons at the county council offices, and they saw St. George asleep under the dragon-proof bale, and they saw their mother at home crying because her children had gone out in the dreadful, dangerous daylight, and she was afraid a dragon had eaten them. And they saw the whole of England like a great puzzle map, green in the field parts, and brown in the towns, and black in the places where they make coal and crockery and cutlery and chemicals. All over it 
on the black parts and on the brown and on the green there was a network of green dragons and they could see that it was still broad daylight and no dragons had gone to bed yet effie said dragons do not like cold and she tried to turn off the sunshine but the tap was out of order and that was why there had been so much hot weather and why the dragons had been able to hatch so they turned on the snow and left the tap full on while they went to look in the mirror there they saw the dragons running all sorts of ways like ants if you're cruel enough to pour water into an ant heap which of course you never are and the snow fell more and more then effie turned the rain tap quite full on and soon the dragons began to wriggle less and by and by some of them lay quite still so the children knew the water had put out the fires inside them and they were gone so then they turned on the hail only half on for fear of breaking people's windows and after a while there were no more dragons to be seen moving then the children knew that they were indeed the deliverers of their country they will put up a monument to us said harry as high as nelson's all the dragons are dead i hope the one that was waiting outside for us is dead said effie and about that monument harry i'm not so sure what can they do with such a lot of dead dragons it would take years and years to bury them and they could never be burnt now they're so soaking wet i wish i wish the rain would wash them off into the sea but this did not happen and the children began to feel that they had not been so clever after all hmm, i wonder what this old thing's for said harry he had found a rusty old tap which seemed as though it had not been used for ages its china label read waste let's turn it on she said it might carry off the dragons now the tap was very stiff from not having been used for such a long time but together they managed to turn it on and then ran to the mirror to see what happened already a great round black hole had opened in the very middle of the map of england and the sides of the map were tilting themselves up so that the rain came down toward the hole oh hooray cried effie and she hurried back to the taps and turned on everything that seemed wet showery good open weather and so on and now the floods of rain were pouring down on the country and great sheets of water flowed toward the center of the map and rivers of water poured into the great round hole in the middle of the map and the dragons were being washed away in great green masses single dragons and dragons by the dozen of all sizes soon there was not a dragon left so then they turned off the tap named waste and they half turned off the one labeled sunshine 
it was broken, so that they could not turn it off altogether. And they turned on fair to moderate and showery, and both taps stuck, so that they could not be turned off, which accounts for the climate of Great Britain. How did they get home again? By train, of course. And was the nation grateful? Well, the nation was very wet. And by the time the nation had gotten dry again, it was interested in the new invention for toasting muffins by electricity. And all the dragons were almost forgotten. Dragons do not seem so important when they are dead and gone. And you know, there never was a reward offered. And what did father and mother say when Effie and Harry got home? Did they get a hero's welcome? Well, not exactly. Mother said, Oh, my darlings, my darlings, you're safe, you're safe. You naughty children, how could you be so disobedient? Go to bed at once. And their father, the doctor, said, I wish I'd known what you were going to do. I should have liked to preserve a specimen. I threw away the one I got out of Effie's eye. I intended to get a perfect specimen. I did not anticipate this immediate extinction of the species. The professor, well, he said nothing. But he rubbed his hands. He had kept his specimen, the one the size of a beetle that he gave Harry a coin for, and he has it to this day. You must get him to show it to you. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you, Effie and Harry, for your brilliant work in saving the nation from the scourge of dragons and for giving us a wonderful story with which to go to sleep. And so, on that note, drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>